Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I will be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Trevor Tuhig, who is the director of Liquid Choices, a campaign for alcohol-free options. He is also the writer of the Charlie Stone series of crime novels, and in a previous life, he was a bar owner and massive drinker. Back then, he was drinking over 10 pints a day before he realised enough was enough. He really hopes his story can help people as since going sober, his life has just got better and better. And here's a quick reminder that my podcast series is supported by Coach Helen Bennett, who helps people with disordered eating. She has an amazing new free masterclass and is offering a fabulous 10% off of all of her courses and coaching packages. So please head over to our website at helenbennett.co and use the code SOBERDAVE at the checkout. She really is an amazing coach. Now on with the show, I really hope you enjoy it. Good morning, Trevor. Welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. How are you today, mate? I'm well, Dave. Well, Dave. How are you, buddy? I'm all right. I'm just looking out the window and it's absolutely pouring of rain and it's in the middle of August. And I think everyone's getting a bit fed up with the weather, and not they? It's been, been oh, a bit of a rough summer, isn't it? It's been a rough summer. I'm, I'm a lucky boy. I just come back from Tenerife where it's been, um, I don't want to make you jealous, Dave, but it's been gloriously sunny. And good lad. Well done. Thanks. Well, <laughs> that's a good start, isn't it? But um, yeah, no, looking out my window, Dave, it's sunny here, but it's a bit windy. But yeah, it's been, um, it's been funny. I'm hoping for one of those Indian summers where, uh, you know, we, we, it stretches out hopefully into September and we get yeah. a, bit of, a bit of heat towards the end of any luck. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, We've been in touch lately and we're going to go on to discuss what you're doing in a community later on. But as is usual, we like to strip it all the way back to the beginning. So where did it all begin for you, mate? Uh, well, I think, do you know what? It first began for me probably with, uh, my dad who, um, was a interesting man, interesting, um, yeah, interesting outlook on life. A, a bit of a bounder, I think, is is the word. And um, he always had a, a drinks cabinet in the main room of the house. And when you pulled the, uh, you know, the shelf down, it had a sticker on it that said, "I drink to make other people more interesting." And I think, as as a young lad growing up in uh, in, in Bexley East in South East London, I sort of looked to that and thought, "Oh, you know." Um, like a lot of us probably do, you know, alcohol's kind of the escape from the boredom, really, you know, the sort of the urban grey of, of of suburban Britain. Um, and, you know, here's my dad, this exciting kind of guy drinking, um, you know, vodka in crystal glasses and ice and stuff. And it all looked very different to the kind of squash and so on <laughs> that I was, uh, mm. you know, be, being, being, being thrust upon. So I think, 
I guess that's where it started. Um, and then, um, being, I remember being given calibers and, and, uh, you know, the low alcohol beers, um, over Christmas when I was sort of early, you know, 10, 11, 12, that sort of age. And then really started properly for me when I was 13 and 14. And, uh, my dad left home. And, um, at the same time, my sister went to university in Aberdeen of all places and being from the southeast, that's quite a, uh, quite, quite a distance. So I was left in the home with, with sort of me and my mother. Um, and, um, you know, as much as I loved my mum, I sort of hung around with my dad and my sister hung around with, with, with her. And, and so, um, it was a little bit like two strangers in the house, Dave. And I think, you know, when you've got that situation, uh, where your kind of home life's a bit uh, awkward and difficult and so on, you, you seek solace in, um, in 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 things outside the house and, and friendships and so on. And growing up where I did, and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people everywhere, um, the, the the booze was a major factor. So I think from the age of 13 or 14, we were um, we were buying sort of two litre bottles of Diamond White and um, Thunderbirds and um, I think it was Hooch as well at that time for the girls in our, in our group, they, they would drink that. And uh, we were going down the local park and and basically getting, getting pissed and, and, and finding sort of escape, you know. I can tell the difference in age here when you say you were given pots of calibre at 12. Jesus. But yeah, Diamond White, actually, when I was drinking it, was 8.4%. Yeah. Uh, and now I think they took it down to 7.5, which I had the massive hump about, which is <laughs> quite... But it's crazy when you think about it, isn't yeah. it? It's like... Oh, yeah. One percent difference, and I was ranting and raving like with my sandwich ball walking up and down the ice street. It's it's it, awful it, stuff, though, isn't it? It, Did it the was. Job. It was terrible, wasn't it? But I think, you know, you just, um, when, you know, when you're that age, I mean, we were, oh, there was two or three of us in our group who were big lads, you know, so we, um, and I, you know, I'm still a big lad, six foot two, but I, I you know, there was no problem getting served in those days, was there? Nah. Like the kids, kids nowadays don't, you know, they don't know what it was like, but I mean, fags, booze, it was all no problem, really. You just find a sort of sympathetic shop owner and you could go in and get it. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the equation was, the most alcohol and the largest volume of drink, wouldn't it? You know, that's what, and that's what diamond white, you know, and all that sort of stuff kind of, yeah, I remember it being around a two pound something mark for those drinks. And, um, and yeah, we just get our pocket money and, and, and go and sort of go and grab that. And like you say, absolutely disgusting. Now you think about it, warm diamond white, but, um, but that's what it was, you know, and, and the goal really wasn't, as you well know, the flavor, it's more about just getting absolutely obliterated. So, that's what we do. And I think, you know, you're sort of kidding yourself that, um, you know, you, you, you're bonding and, and in a way you are, I guess, but I suppose, um, really what you're wanting is to escape. And so for me, that's where it all started. And, um, you know, we were in parks doing things we certainly shouldn't have been doing and, um, and drinking very heavily. And then it just becomes very quickly normalized. And for me, that, um, then continued i ended up um yeah i ended up sort of just 
just even before I was 18, sort of 16, 17, just buying four packs of Stella and um, sitting indoors playing PlayStation. And, um, you know, if I had a girlfriend or mates around again, it would be just beers, beers, beers and drinks, drinks, drinks. And just it just became absolutely normalized as part of, of my life. And, you know, looking back now, I realized that is probably um, – you know, a reaction to, uh, you know, pain and like um, not processing certain things that were going on in my personal life with, with my dad and so on. Um, And yeah, and and it continued into, um, into, into my sort of twenties, went to university where a lot of people, you know, if you, if you, if you think you've got a problem then then you definitely, definitely compound that problem at university, um, and make it worse and add drugs and all sorts of other stuff into the mix. Um, and again, you know, it's very, it, it's commonplace, isn't it? And so, so yeah, it carried on, carried on, um, until, um, you know, I had a few rock bottoms, uh, so we discussed off air in, in my sort of late twenties and thirties, um, which uh, should have been the signal to stop, but but wasn't. Um, then later on in my thirties, I thought it would be a great idea to buy a bar, so I bought a bar, and um, that was obviously the perfect excuse to get down there every day and be the affable host, and you know, bring people in and all that, whilst also having ten pints and a few spirits and anything else that was going round. Um, and then at sort of, I guess it was 37, 38, I had a little look at myself and thought, you know, what am I doing? And um, began the process of uh, of sobering up, which has been a long and hard road, you know. Um, but but touch wood, um, yeah, on that road now and getting there, Dave. All right, mate. Well, um, I'm going to have to go back a little bit, otherwise mm. the podcast will be over in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah. So when you say you had a few rock bottoms, um in your early 30s do you mind sharing some of them with me not at all not at all dave i mean i think it's important for people to um yeah to hear about it and to and to understand what goes on but um i mean i think i can even go back into my 20s where where it really started and um i think late 20s um i was drinking in Saturn in surrey which uh obviously you know well one of your old stomping grounds and um yeah, it was in the O'Neills on the corner there. And, oh, um, God, dude, like you saying <laughs> this is unreal for me. But when was this? Like, what what um, year? Um, we must be looking at around about 2006, six, seven. Yeah. Maybe oh, 2006. was probably yeah. in there as well. Yeah, it's possibly, what, mate. <laughs> kind of freaks me out a little bit sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, you meet later on in life, and when you say you was drinking around Sutton, I lived in Sutton, and that was where I drank every single day before I become a recluse, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I was quite social until, as I put in my book, that some people started mentioning, like, saying, Dave, you're looking really rough, you're looking like you're putting loads of weight, and is everything all right? And then that's when I sort of like escaped into my insular oblivion, you know? So, <laughs> oh, Nittles, they used to have their bands in there and everything, didn't they? That's it. That's it. Friday night, they had the bands and we used to go in there for what we'd call a few, a, f- a few, a few liveners just before the, uh, rugby on the, on the weekend. Cause we used to play for Oldwell County and up the road in uh, Woodmanston. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But obviously that ended up being 10, 12 beers, as you well know, and then going yeah. and sweating it out on the rugby pitch and doing it all again on the Saturday. But but yeah, mate, I mean, it's it was always very lively, very busy, like you say, often bands. And and that's the thing, you get swept up in that whole vibe. It's all very positive and very, um, you know, it's a nice environment when you're in it at the time. Um, but obviously one night I was there, group of us and so on, and I've probably, I've, I worked out, I probably had nine pints of, uh, of premium whatever, lager, etc. And um, I got a phone call um from an ex-girlfriend who was down in um i think she was in wallington and um for people that obviously don't know that's i would say about a 10 minute drive um but at that time of night there was no buses um getting a cab in Sutton uh was never that easy around 11 30 she was panicking about something or other it was probably very minor but um but yeah at the time in my head in my drunken state i was like oh i've got to get there i've got to go and so on so what do i do i'd already i'd parked the car up ready to be left there overnight to pick up in the morning but i thought well what i'll do is i'll I'll grab the car and quickly nip down no one will be on the road so it'll be no problem um drove down and what I didn't realise, Dave, is that I was being followed by the police. Um, and also what happened when um, I came over the mini roundabout in Carshalton and going just towards the ponds, well, the police reckoned that I fell asleep at the wheel, um, which is, uh, you know, unbelievable to me, but but that's that's what they they think. And the car veered off and, and went directly into the car short and ponds, which again, for people who don't know, that's like, um, it's like a green, isn't it? It's, I suppose the ponds are there instead of like a, a village green, aren't they? And they're like two sort of big lakes. Um, and went in there, <laughs> promptly woke up and, um, was, um, you know, was, was duly very, very embarrassed. And obviously, you know, once I'd sobered up, realised, you know, how dangerous and um, quite terrifying my actions were because it's not just about myself, but had the car have gone the other way, uh, right rather than left, you know, it it could have been a very different outcome for for not just me, but for anyone around. So that was a bit of a wake-up call. What happened after that, though? You got out of the ponds with uh, anyone who knows that area they know them well because it's it's a beautiful part of Carshorton mm. isn't it and uh, there's a big old church on the right coach and horses there greyhound and quite often I'd drive past and there'd be summit in there I remember <laughs> yeah. a huge BT lorry in there once like I don't know how that got in there but it was in the day you know <laughs> so there's yeah. always a railing missing there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. It's got these very small little metal railings. I yeah. don't know what they're there for, but uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, there's always something in there. But I mean, yeah. So I've woke up. I've uh, got out of the car. Realised the um, police are behind me. Their blue lights are on. The road gets shut off, which is so again. It's a big thoroughfare. It's a small yeah. little road, but it's a big thoroughfare for a busy area in uh, sort of North Surrey. And um, the road gets cut off. Everyone starts filtering out of the pub over the road big pub as well busy on a friday night um and loads of the people like my mates people i play rugby with drinking pals etc in the pub over the road 
Police have got hold of me. They've gone and looked at me, and I've realised, obviously, um, and I've gone go into the pub, have a drink of water. So I'm with this copper. I'm still pissed out my head, so I'm not really knowing what's going on. Um, and cut a long story short, you know, I'm nicked. Spend the night in the cells, um, and uh, yeah, got nabbed for drink driving. Cars written off, obviously, as well. To add to it, I was a, I'm a teacher in the local area. I've uh, got this bright, sort of luminous green Nissan Almira SI. Honestly, Dave, it was um, it wasn't it wasn't a good look. Let's put it that way. Uh, there was no hiding from it. <laughs> it. It wasn't like a little black corsa where you could go sit with someone else. So, in a way, as much as it was horrible um it, it you know and, and a, a terrible experience it, it was it was positive because it made me realize that i couldn't hide you know yeah. and that there's a problem there and i remember this is yeah that must have been 2006 um i remember my mum coming to court with me because my girlfriend was like not interested anymore at the time um and she was there and i just felt so ashamed and embarrassed because my mum's quite um quite a religious lady you know wouldn't say boo to a goose you know not not you know no sort of understanding or recollection of this world that i was sort of thrusting her into and i just remember this this awful feeling of guilt um and yeah i mean uh was a bit of an eye-opener mate to be honest with you it is an eye opener. Um, and I imagine if you think you can zip from Sutton after nine pints in a bright green Almira and not get noticed, you must have been pissed, mate. But yeah. can I, like, on a serious note, mate, wind it back a bit more as well um, to when your dad left? Because what strikes the similarities there is you were the same age as me when my mum left. Mm. Um, and that's when I started drinking and I felt all these different emotions. And of course, at that age, you don't really understand. We haven't got the emotional intelligence of how we would look at it now. And I felt abandoned, alone, lost. And when I started drinking, it made me feel confident, accepted by my mates. Is that when you started drinking, is that how you felt? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that um, there was a lot of unprocessed um, angst and sadness. And the one thing for me, uh, Dave, is that I, I, I got diagnosed last year with ADHD. And I know it's a bit of a, you know, it's a pattern a lot of people are these days. But, you know, I, I, I 100% uh, recognise a lot of the things that, that – um, that are, that are part of the symptoms. Uh, one of those things is is rejection, sensitive dysphoria, um, and I uh, suffer terribly from from re- being rejected and, and rejection and so on. And so for me, um, that was a major problem. And and my dad leaving for, uh, or being kicked out, I suppose, really by my mum, um, even though he was only down the road in Slade Green. But the problem was he he was you know it was like like he'll see me on a Tuesday or see me on a Thursday and maybe on a Sunday, but it would depend on, you know, what he was doing with his girlfriends at the time, you know? So that was going on. Um, you know, another thing about my dad, and this is, um, not to shamelessly plug, but it is easy in my book, um, that I've written about this, but, um, but yeah, my dad would go to America, um, every, um, summer holiday for, for six weeks, but he wouldn't take the family. So he'd be living with the family, but he'd be going off on his own. Um, 
and again that was part of it and my mum said to me that you know I used to um I used to like basically stay and sit on a chair and look out the window waiting for his cab to pull up outside the family home um for days and it just wouldn't it wouldn't happen because we wouldn't know when he was coming back so I think for me um all of that was quite damaging and I think you know there's probably a lot of synergy between your situation and mine Mm. and I think that alcohol becomes or certainly for me became your best friend because you could rely on it and Mm. it would numb numb your emotions it would numb the pain and um yeah, as long as, you know, you, you can get as pissed out of your head as you wanted. And as long as you've got drink there the next day to, to help ease the hangover, um, you know, it, it's a cycle that you can, you can keep, um, using, you know. And also I found like it wasn't just about the hangover. It was about keeping those feelings away because mm. they, you know, we all know that if we drink, it's a temporary solution and you can wake up at 3 a.m. And then you're regretting what you might have done the night before, what you've said to people, what you've texted people. But then you start thinking about the reason you blocked it out. So then you think, I can't wait till I can have a drive link to get rid of that as well. So you're forever on that hamster wheel of going round and round and round. And when you stop drinking, this is the practical side of it is actually, I think, one of the easiest bits. It's dealing with the emotional side. That's the thing because we blocked it out like for me i blocked out 40 years right yeah so i went back to being 14 years old emotionally yeah when i gave up it was like what do i do now then yeah that's where the work comes in isn't it absolutely mate yeah absolutely and i think that um you have to go back to to that point in time and you have to do the work and really for anyone who's had a serious drinking problem it you know it 99% 99% of, of the reason for that is probably because of some sort of emotional trauma that you haven't dealt with. And I think you've got to be alone with yourself and you've got to ask yourself those difficult questions because if you don't do that, I think it's going to be very difficult to, to stay sober. Um, but, you know, I, I think for people, you know, who, who are sober or sober curious, it's 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 a long road dave isn't it it's a long road to sobriety and it takes and if you've been drinking heavily you know your story my story you know it, it didn't happen overnight and i think that it, it's it's a total lifestyle change isn't it and i think one of those things is being able to just to be sober you've just got to be able to be a, a, an actual normal human being in the world and for 25 years I wasn't, and I'm still working yeah. on myself. We're yeah. all still working on ourselves, aren't we? I just couldn't function in the world with the amount of pain and so on and trauma that was going on. Um, and, and yeah, it's I'm still in the process, still on the road of kind of getting to where I want to be to um, to get into the the levels that I want to be. But it takes a long time, and it's um, it's so hard, you know. It's so difficult. Yeah, and I don't want to put people off by that either because I believe the first few months is the practical side, is learning how to deal with cravings, triggers, associations, how we romanticise alcohol, dealing with social situations, what to say to your friends. You know, that's the first bit, but I always say the emotional bit's the second phase of sobriety, and I think it's really useful to get support, um, whether it's a coach, um, therapy, um you know, there, there's so many layers to it. So I don't want it to sound like, no. oh my God, it's too difficult. But it's a process. And I'm, 
over four and a half years. And, you know, I did a okay. post recently about a carvery, an old fashioned carvery. So, yeah. you know, Sutton, right? I used to go <laughs> in the Belmont. Um, yeah, 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 in yeah, a no carvery well. there with my mum and that's what triggered me that day it was like oh my god like the old fashioned Axminster carpet the flop wallpaper even the staff had like little aprons on and it and it was like oh, it's, it was like it was yesterday my mum's passed away nearly five years ago now and it was almost like it was yesterday I was sitting in a carvery with her do you know what I mean and yeah, she was yeah. taking forever to eat her dinner and I thought that's Andy that give me an opportunity to get a few more beers in do you know what I mean that's alright mum take your time darling you know yeah, yeah. fall out of there then we go home and I'll get stuck into the vodka so and that's nearly five years that mm. that popped up in my head so you know it, it's never ending but anyway moving yeah. on to you now so what point in your 30s were you like thinking I've got to do something about it or, or was there a, a certain point that you you realized it was dysfunctional yeah it's it's interesting you asked that because I think that in the back of my head there has always been um a desire to be sober um because I think I see it as, for me, the ultimate challenge. I think if I can get sober and stay sober, then that is, given my my background, is 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 is, is you know the ultimate challenge. So, um, I've always wanted it, but I never thought that I could kind of do it. And um, if someone had a said to me when I was thirty five, "You won't drink when you're forty two," I'd be like, "Yeah." You wouldn't believe it. Absolutely, mate. I'd be, I'd laugh them out of the pub, you know. <laughs> but, um, but I think that, um, there were a few things, Dave, that got me there. Um, I remember obviously the, the car shortened incident. You know, the truth is, and like, so I've, I've written about it in, in the book, you know, I, I was, I was nicked five times, um, and spent five nights in cells and all for totally, well, obviously the, the car one wasn't a stupid thing. It was a very dangerous, silly thing. Um, but then, you know, things like shoplifting. Dave like you know I was earning good money I'd you know I was not you know it was nothing to do with money or finances but just for you know giggles because I was off off my head with my mates I'd be going into Sainsbury's and and, and sort of taking things for trains home and you think like what on earth is going on there like you know it's totally ludicrous and loads of things like that I ended up I ended up getting like I say five nights five separate occasions in cells and I got off most of them because you know I could say to people look I, I was you know drunk out my head I was being a complete whatever and um and I'm, I'm really sorry and you know that, that sort of accumulates and accumulates and accumulates and I remember obviously I got uh, 2014 I got divorced and I had to leave um the family home uh with, with my first wife and that um you know that I had a five-year-old daughter um and um that was very painful um, having to leave her, but fundamentally it was the right decision. Alcohol played a heavy part in that. Um, I would say on, on my part, I, I was not a good husband um, and was, you know what it's like, Dave, it was not, I did anything in, specific, but you're just not really available, Yeah, you know, because your headspace is constantly focused on the next drink and the next drink and yeah. the next drink. So you're never there. So that happened, um, which is a problem. Then I, I, I moved to Folkestone in Kent, uh, seaside town. Um, very lovely. And met my, um, met my current wife who um, I'm very happy now. I've got three more kids, I've got four kids in total, which is uh, a beautiful thing. And, um, we opened a bar in Folkestone. Um, and, 
it was very successful for six months until you know the drinking for me got out of hand um and i'm in there every day and, and you know my plan for the bar was to open it to get someone in to run it and to kind of use it as a passive income stream but like with all these things it never ever happens like that and so i'm getting text messages from people in the community going oh when you're coming down to the bar when you you know duh, 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 duh. so for me it was just an excuse to go and drink and to have 10 pints and then to get on the spirits and to do a bit of this do a bit of that and um there, there was a, a time um in that period where my wife and I went to see, I think it was Jay-Z and Beyonce at the London stadium. And my wife had been looking forward to that for a long time. Me, not so much, but, um, but um, we did that. And, um, and I was, I was really pissed really early on and ended up getting thrown out of the gig. Um, And she said to me, you need to sort this out, Trev, you know, you need to get a grip of this or, or, you know, essentially it's going to be over. So, that was a turning point really i think and then from that point onwards i kind of realized that um my behavior was impacting the people that i loved and i think when that penny drops it's um it's an important moment and so i started the sort of long slow climb if you like back to um where i needed to be i guess how did that look like when you say the long, slow climb? Did you did you try and then not seed and then keep trying? What what was that like? Well, for me, I started um, cutting down initially because I was drinking it quite a uh, you know quite a lot a day. Um, and, and you'll know what that's like. Towards the end of your your sort of um, when you became sober, I think you was drinking gallons of vodka with me dave yeah liters of vodka vodka, three bottles of wine but i didn't cut down i just went for it which in hindsight is dangerous do you know what i mean well, that was my thing. I did a little bit of, uh, you know, Dr. Google research on it. And yeah. I saw that, like, you know, I try and cut down, cut down. And, um, you know, I, I did. And I got to a point where I thought, like, well, I had, like, two or three beers last night. Can I get through today without having any beers? And just try to keep the goal of waking up tomorrow and that positive feeling of, you know, waking up. And then, did I drink last night? No, I didn't. You know what yeah, I mean? Buzzing, it's aren't you? Euphoria, <laughs> isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, so I got to that point and then, um, and then, yeah. And then I've just, um, I'm very lucky because my wife doesn't drink. She, she's teetotal now. She, when I met her, we were both massive piss heads together, but now she's, um, you know, she doesn't do it. So that's a real support mechanism for me. And, um, I, I just, it's very hard. I found that, um, quit lit was a real, um, was a real thing that I needed. And, um, you know, I've said this on other podcasts as well, you know, even the ones that you think won't resonate with you, like Claire Pooley's books and stuff had a massive impact on me, massive positive impact. Um, and, um, obviously things like your podcast, Dave and stuff, and just realizing that there's a community that's a bit different. And I think for me, when I was drinking, heavily i felt that i was like in a special club we're the drinkers club and you know yeah these other guys they don't understand we're hardcore you know blah 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 and all that and it's all a lie and then i think i slowly got intrigued by this other club which was the sober club and it looks really nice and friendly in there and everyone's really kind and we're all trying to help each other and um yeah my interest grew in that i learned a little bit about the science of it and david nutt and why i'm and i learned obviously that i had adhd and that that is um a problem with it yeah it provides problems with addiction and um 
and slowly but surely got to uh, alcohol change as well. We were both part of as well. have had a massive uh, impact on, on my sobriety. And again, like I say, for me, it was a learning curve getting to that, um, getting to a point where I just felt that I can, I can do without it, you know, but it's, um, it took months, Dave, I'll be honest with you. I took months. And when was that? When was your sobriety date? So, um, I have, been now sober for to be honest with you I've, I've i've dropped in and out of it and um i've had um you know i've done certain times where i've had a drink and i kind of regretted it and certain times where i've had so for this year i've probably been um i've got it all on that i use the try dry app and i've been sober for um a majority of days but there will still be four or five days where i'm kind of um well i drink so for instance west ham as i'm a big west ham fan i went to prague we won the european cup and i ended up in the elation of that getting talked into having a drink and as soon as i had that drink i regretted it and i thought why have i done that you know why have i done that so it's still an ongoing battle for me dave and i'm still kind of working through it and working with it um but i mean i would say that you know without looking at the app and not having it on it i've been sober sort of 95 percent of this year but you know again you know i'm still kind of um working towards exactly where i want to be and things like celebrations like that which you know haven't happened in my lifetime i struggle with and i've still got to do some work on things like um christmas i'm anxious about already because it's such a hard time isn't it when everyone else yeah. around is doing their thing and so on so it's a work in progress mate if i'm honest yeah that's important to say that as well and um, thank you for being honest about that but you know it's identifying what the associations are you so celebrations you know like the football big west ham fan all your mates you know you struggle with maybe not having a beer when all your mates are having a beer and the euphoria of the football and it's that's the next part for you i think it's Mm -hmm. identifying actually how can i manage that situation and a lot of the time what i say to my people that come to me is that you have to get in there before so you know, like say there's a big game in two weeks, you need to start working on that now and saying to your mates, if I'm tempted to have a drink, just please don't let me. And, you know, work it out beforehand because when you're in the moment, it's easy to be blinded by it, you know, and then you regret it. But at least you're learning from each occasion and you're aware of it. But I think it's that final tweaking of it, isn't it, of – well, I just need to adjust it a little bit and I'll get there. Absolutely. And I think it's testament to the power of the addiction um, because when I first first became sober, I don't know if you had this, Dave, but I thought, oh, I've nailed this. This is, you know, you get to like two months or three yeah, months. Yeah, pink cloud, isn't it? Yeah, and you think like, oh, I've got this. And then no matter how, and this is advice really to anyone, no matter how far down the road you think you are, you think you never need it again, just be very careful because it can trip you up at any time and, and yeah. it could be the slightest little thing. And so, um, you know, I'll be honest, I've, I've looked um, – I'm now beginning to think about going to some meetings, which again, uh, I, I didn't think about before, but you know, I think 
that it's it's recognizing that um you need the support and you you know we are it's it's a it's a very um positive community to be in the cyber community in my opinion um and you need to use it however you can because it's a lonely road sometimes being sober and i think you alluded to it earlier you know your friendships change the phone rings a little bit less because um you know a lot of people who still are drinking possibly don't want to be reminded about their drinking or yeah, maybe they that. just whatever it is it maybe i don't want to be with that boring bastard trev anymore because he's not doing whatever whatever it is you know so it's a difficult thing you know and you have to you have to adapt but i mean for me and, and most people i think the positives massively outweigh um the negatives for sure absolutely mate so talk to us about liquid choices what what is this so Liquid Choices is a CRC I started this year, which is um, fundamentally the campaign for alcohol-free options. And what we are aiming to do is improve the alcohol-free selection in the hospitality sector. So, you know, we're all hopefully very aware that, that there are certain pubs, bars, etc., that you can go to, which have a fantastic array and range of alcohol-free choices. And there are some places you can go to where you walk in and say, oh, what have you got that's alcohol-free? And uh, look at you and sort of say Diet Coke yeah. or Heineken Zero or Bex Blue. Yeah. And um, the amount of high-quality, robust alcohol-free options that are out there in like retail does not compare in the slightest to what is being represented in hospitality. So, you know, we're very aware that um, 15% of people who are sober relapse when they're, they're not presented in pubs with robust alcohol-free options. So, you know, as we've discussed, like a lot of my, um, you know, a lot of my sort of growth has come through football matches, events. I'm a big music fan like yourself, mate, I've, I, I, you know, and those sort of events, you know, if you go to them with your mates and level like me at the football at Prague, you know, and if you're not presented with a, if a half decent uh, alcohol free, um, you know, option, you can quite easily relapse. And 15% of people do relapse. You know, that's the stat um, that, that, that we've sort of, we're using with, with the campaign. And we think that's wrong. And, um, you know, we are aiming to try and um, pressure the hospitality sector, but also provide um, a really decent, high quality, progressive list of of options that we have kind of vetted and we think are, are really, really good and they're going to stay the course that um, pubs and bars can take on and can hopefully provide, you know, a really good experience for all of their customers, not just the ones who are drinking alcohol. So have they come for the people that don't um like I, I, I've I've been to a hotel before and looked at their menu and, and there's virtually nothing on there. And it, and this is like a big brand as well, this hotel chain. Yeah. yeah. Have they come up with the reasons why they're they're so limited? Yes. I mean, one of the reasons is suppliers, Dave. And obviously, you know, like in the, in the pub, uh, on trade in industry, there's, you know, you've got, you've got certain suppliers who, like Heineken is obviously one of your biggest ones. And they're obviously only wanting to push Heineken zero. So it's contracted in that it's very, very difficult for them to be able to provide, um, 
or, or they're, whether they're willing to provide basically anything other than their own product. They want to keep their own product in there. So that is a massive, um, a massive issue, which is why we feel that this campaign can't just be fought with us going out to people and offering these different choices because that can't happen. We actually feel that we're going to have to go, um, to MPs and to parliament and to try and force through change on a licensing level, which is, we know is going to be incredibly difficult. We know it's going to be, um a long long road um so yeah i mean in the first instance um yeah the reason is is supply and and you know just pubs not being able to um to supply the the new sort of progressive type drinks but you know there is hope because there are a lot of independents um and places that are kind of um keen to try new things and obviously with the advent of dry january sober october and all that sort of stuff there are real opportunities for places to hopefully you know january as you know is notoriously quiet month for pubs you know but if they got behind a a dry january liquid choices campaign then you know there could be you could get a whole new crowd of people in and hopefully build a whole new following you know i agree with that because it's not all about people sitting there drinking it's about the food they can buy you know like experience i know the pub trade they go on about dry january but you know it's a huge industry the alcohol-free yeah. industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there there are some amazing drinks. And I caveat that with, you know, it's important to know that it's not for everyone, alcohol-free drinks. And I always say, if there's 1% of it that triggers you, don't go near them. Yeah. But I equally know that they are useful for other people. And uh, Like for me, and it really took me by surprise, to be honest, Trev, that, because I drank so much, when I had an alcohol-free beer, it did not trigger me at all, right? But I will say one thing that did. Um, I went to a well-known brand that opened a pub in Old Street, and I said, I'll have one of them, and she poured me a pint. And it was the pint that triggered me, not the drink. It was the pint glass. Mm. And I said to her, I can't have that. Can I have a half a pint? Well, I'd never drink half a pint. That was ridiculous. No, no, you would never have yeah, in a million yeah, So yeah. It, it's almost like what suits you, you know. Um, and I also know that um, th- a lot of these alcohol-free drinks have helped get people sober. And now, do you know what? I only want one. Um, yeah. and it, and it curves the cravings. It, it's that reward. It's the action of having a drink. And also if you're out with your mates and you get, um, Heineken zero or something, you, in the beginning, you're not standing out from the crowd with an orange juice with a, 10 rugby players. You know what I mean? It's psychological thing. So yeah. Yeah, I totally agree, but yeah, yeah, it's. It, I think it's interesting that you say like it, it can be triggering, and obviously we're acutely aware of that. Um, but interestingly, Alcohol Change have just released some some research. It only came out in July two thousand and twenty three, and it talks about precisely what you said that day, which is that um, alcohol free um, beers and drinks can really, really support heavy drinkers and excessive drinkers in 
cutting down and quitting. Um, and we'll have to leave like a link to, to the research because it's on their website. Um, but it, it's really fascinating. And yeah, it's not a one size fits all, mate. Absolutely. And I tell and, and, and you know that and I know that. But if, you know, if, if having better choices in pubs, um, just helps people, you know, it helps, helps a handful of people. Then as far as I'm concerned, that, that work is done. But in addition to that, I just I find it slightly um, unethical, if I'm being honest. I know that sounds strong, but I do find it slightly unethical that 95% of drinks in pubs are are alcoholic, and that there's no there seems to be no kind of um, push or drive for landlords and, and publicans to provide something that that's different. And it's it's almost as if they they want to keep us all drunk and um and uh, sort of sedated, you know, and, and that's kind of for me something that I think in this modern world has to change. You know, we're so modern and progressive in other areas. Um and and we're just not here. And I just find that um quite sad really. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, mate. It's like the old-fashioned putting the peanuts on the bar scenario because it, it makes you thirsty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? So you buy more and more pints and it's like, oh, you know, people that are not drinking, I won't be in there so long. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's yeah, a yeah. weird science around it, isn't it? But I think, like, what you're doing with Liquid Choices is brilliant and the way forward. And how do people find out about this then? Uh, so you can come to our website, liquidchoices.com and sign up to our newsletter, which is on the front page. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at liquid underscore choices. Um, and yeah, from there, you'll find out about what we're trying to do. And obviously we, we, uh, would hope that anyone who's sober or sober curious, um, would, would help us and join the movement, follow us and, and stay in touch for, for details of what we're doing. We've got, um, you know, we've got some great content there. We're going to be starting the Liquid Choices podcast where we're going to be talking about different forms of consciousness and trying to kind of elevate our existence because um, part of the journey for me uh, out of sort of alcoholism, if you like, is to, um, yeah, is to find different ways to kind of um, promote well-being and positivity within our lives because, you know, you know as well as I do, mate, that if you're drinking every day, you're in a constant sort of state of depression you know and it's um it, it keeps you in that lull and you think the only way to get out of this is to is to have another drink and, and it is really because it's a bit of a prison i always call it the alcohol yeah. prison you know yeah. um and i think the people who've been there like you have and i have really when you're in that alcohol prison you can't really see a way out you know it's really hard to see that and what i want liquid choices to represent is is that there is a way out you know and i'll watch the guys at football who who are going there they're going on the away days to have their 10 pints and to get away from the family and you know go mad with the boys and and so on and and there might be one of those boys or two of those boys in that group who are actually thinking do you know what I don't want to be really hungover tomorrow. I actually yeah. wouldn't mind having, and so it's those people, um, you know, obviously all people, but those people fundamentally, I want to reach and say to, there is a way out. We can do this, and there is support there, and we can help you. So, Liquid Choices is part of that, you know. So, yeah, do get in touch and and, and stay in touch, and, and hopefully we can all, yeah. One of the things I've always said is that sober community is so cohesive and so lovely, but. I think the next step for the sober community is to try and get out into 
you know the, the the real world if you like and try and try and really make an impact there and that's hopefully where where we can all work together and liquid choices can kind of spearhead that i really want to like say as well that i haven't got you on this podcast to promote liquid choices it's it's part of your journey and i think it's a brilliant thing what you're doing and i wanted to talk about it because you know alcohol free options is a huge part of um our new life Mm, absolutely when when you stop drinking and there are are individuals that will go do you know what there's that saying in there if you go in a barber shop long enough you want your hair cut you know (laughs) but but we've all got choices right yeah yeah and and for me i'm absolutely okay with them i i'm not one for the this kind of the spirit alcohol free ones they don't really float my boat and to be honest if i have one one alcohol free beer that's enough for me i'm quite happy after that um yeah it's weird isn't it it's like i would drink 20 pints but now i'll have one little bottle and i'm full up absolutely yeah it changes you it changes your whole perception going sober and i think what you said about the little reward i mean for me at four o'clock four p.m as soon as that hits I'm opening an ice cold alcohol free beer and that is my little reward at the end of the day. But yeah. for someone else, it might be, you know, it might be something else. And I've got a meeting after this later today, um, with, with Sentia spirits who, oh yeah, know, David and, Nutt, isn't it? David Nutt. Yeah. And you know, these, these drinks that he's creating give you that little sort of, um, Gabba. Yeah, the little gabba buzz, you know, and you think, I'm not sure how many people who are sober or who, sorry, who are still drinking know about this stuff. Do they know that this is available? And yeah. that actually, you know, there are other options out there that are really, really good and really progressive without, um, you know, without having to get drunk and have the sort of dehydration and the, the regret of who you've texted and all that the next day. So it, it it's just, uh, it, it's really, really evolved the alcohol free market. And yeah, anyway, we we can try and um, get that out there and, and give people better choices in their life. We, you know, we want to do, Dave. Well, do you know what? I'm very fortunate that I've had Professor David Nutt on my podcast. I know, mate. Yeah, and yeah. Um, he discussed it. And you know, uh, you know, it's easy for us to go. Oh, you know, I'm not sure about that. You know, the high without the hangover, mm-hmm. blah blah. But it actually specifically works on the GABA neurotransmitter, which you know, it's the relaxant. It, it makes you relax, you know, and, and, you know, what's wrong with that is there's no alcohol in it and it's a drink that helps you relax. So, um, he's actually sending me out a couple of bottles this week. So I'm going to give it a try. And, uh, devil. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not what you know, David. Yeah. That's no, good. It's, I mean, it's like you say, it's, um, it could be the future, couldn't it, Dave? You know, and I think, um, he's working on other things, isn't he? In his Psychedelics. Lab. We talked about that, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, uh, microdosing, um, you know, it can help. I wouldn't say cure depression, but it can curve it for months on end. One, one microdose, you know, so it's, it's scientifically based. So, I think it's the way forward, you know. Totally. Um, we don't want to be stuck back in the day. Um, and I find it really interesting as well. I, I love all the science around this, you know. Like you, when I stopped drinking, drink was one of the first books I bought because I love the science and understanding how my body works. And, you know, I've, I've said on this podcast before that I've got a faulty dopamine receptor, which is why I drank so yeah. quickly and so fast and nothing was ever enough. You know, and when I stopped drinking, I had a massive trainer fest of like, oh, I want to get some trainers. And I'd order them, go through the whole process of looking, ordering them online. 
And then when they arrived, that then was over. It was like, yeah. oh, was that exactly it then? The same thing. I do exactly the same thing. Dave, you aware of um, neuroplasticity? Did David talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the idea that obviously um, you you can change, you know, the neural pathways in your brain, and 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 microdosing and psychedelics are a huge part of that. And it's so fascinating because I think our generation grew up thinking, oh well, we've learned everything we can possibly learn, and we can't change our brains. You know what I mean? You, you sort of learn it as an adolescent, and then that's that. But the latest science is saying that actually, if you were an addict or you were drinking too much alcohol or whatever, with these types of uh, of drugs you can change your brain and and you know make it so that you possibly possibly don't have the same level of addiction and stuff and to me like like you say that is absolutely fascinating and i I love that sort of stuff and that's sort of thing we want to explore more on on the liquid choices podcast as well yeah and it it gives you hope as well doesn't it because we all want i wouldn't say we want a magic tablet but we all want research and science-based research is valid, right? And it's like, if if they're finding all these new things out about how to switch off this part of the brain that makes us obsess about alcohol every day, surely that's a good thing, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and that's the way it's going forward. And I think Australia and the Netherlands have already uh, made certain um, products available yeah. because of this, but we're way behind, but... We're working at it. You know what our government's like. I can't say too much. But. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, Boris Johnson was very keen, Dave, wasn't he? I think he wanted the psychedelic research, and then obviously that didn't pan out as well as, you know. But, he, yeah, there is there is interest there from the, you know, from the Tories and stuff. So fingers, fingers crossed. But, I mean, from our perspective, you know, human beings have always wanted you know one of the things that separates us from animals is that we have this sort of desire to learn to grow etc and we've always um searched for a slight altering of our consciousness whether it's through drugs or through meditation or whatever this is for, for thousands and thousands of years there's evidence of um people to, you know taking taking drugs and taking patients so it's, we can't i don't think people can beat themselves up about um you know having a drink or that desire and so on because it's a natural thing but anything that can um change change the world or change the individual so that our experience is a better one and a and one of higher consciousness is a great thing and i think we both know that alcohol is not that drug yeah absolutely it's uh, a fascinating conversation mate um this one in there um it's been a brilliant um conversation mate um i'm really grateful you shared your story as well and the similarities as well and the fact that you was on my stomping ground we must have uh walked past each other or bumped into each other in the bar or something quite possible i don't think we fell out but uh, (laughs) (laughs) i don't remember it mate no no um, and congratulations as well for all you're doing with liquid choices now cold change as well so well done mate on that that's brilliant thank you dave thanks for having me on uh and thank you for everything that you do for the community you are an inspiration to a lot of us mate and thank you very grateful thank you so much trevor and maybe one day i'll see you somewhere we'll meet in the real world (laughs) All right, yeah. All right, mate. Thanks a lot. Bye, mate. Bye. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon. And you can also follow me on Instagram, at Sober Dave. 
please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.